Men are faced with unique challenges, and many of our failures come from operating with boy psychology instead of the mature and evolved man psychology. We often find ourselves asking, what kind of men should we be? There are many perspectives about healthy masculinity and even more widely varying ideas of what it means to be an alpha. Today, my three alpha guests and I begin a six episode series on our review of the book, King, Warrior, Magician, Lover by Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette. They describe the difference between boy psychology and man psychology and give a very effective model of healthy manhood by helping guys rediscover the archetypes of mature masculinity the king, the warrior, the magician, and the lover. If you're a man that controls his own destiny, a man that is always in the pursuit of being better, you are in the right place. You are responsible. You are strong. You are a leader. You are a force for good. Gentlemen, you are the Alpha, and this is the Alpha Quorum. Welcome back to the Alpha Quorum Show. Brad Singletary here. I'm super excited about what we have going on tonight for you guys. This is going to be special. i got a room full of studs here. This is a bunch of alphas here joining me tonight. I'm going to introduce them here in a second. But I asked them to come in here tonight because of their strengths, the things that I know about them, the things they're doing the, the adversity that they've gone through in their lives and how they have managed difficult things and what they're doing to strengthen themselves and other men around them. First of all, we have Jay. Jay was an elementary and middle school teacher as well as a coach. He's now worked in the government sector for the last 16 years, which requires him to deal with people who are in crisis. He's a twice-divorced father of two and enjoys being at the lake and traveling. Welcome, Jay. Appreciate you being here, brother. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate being here, too. We also have Jim, an electrician of 25 years in the Las Vegas Valley. He's currently working as an electrical superintendent for commercial and industrial projects throughout the valley. He's a divorced father of two boys, ages 27 and 16. He enjoys a wide range of activities year-round and has a passion for the outdoors. Inspiring and mentoring those within the electrical trade gives him purpose. That's among many of your other strengths, Jim, that's one of the reasons I invited you here because uh, later we're going to talk about the magician, but that's someone who not only has special knowledge, but who shares it with other people. So as I've gotten to know you and you've talked about mentoring other people, um, that's one of the many strong things about you that I, I really appreciate. Thanks for being here, Jim. Uh, thanks for having me, Brad. Appreciate it. Definitely. We also have Clint Albright. He's working in marriage and family therapy. He works with couples trauma, and men's issues. He runs a group called Dude Therapy, and that's an acronym for Dudes Understanding Deeper Emotions. Here in Las Vegas, he enjoys helping men understand their deeper emotional selves. And after his father passed in a plane crash, he wanted to help others learn to overcome adversity. Dude, Clint, you're, we're kind of new, our relationship. We met probably, what, about a month ago. Um, just wanted to collaborate on some of the work we're both trying to do to help men. Um, you've got some pretty cool things running up on the Summerlin side of town. Is that yes. kind of northwest area over there? Yeah, so I do dude therapy over at Maternal Minds. Um, it's really awesome experience just ha having guys just around talking about what's going on for them and how to just be the best versions of themselves. I got to say that the uh, I appreciate your you know your education, your work as a professional. There aren't many male therapists, period, mm -hmm. and there aren't many male therapists who kind of do male shit. <laughs> so when we I, when I got to hear the some of the things you were doing, I was like, this dude, this dude is a dude, and he's doing dude therapy, dudes understanding deeper emotions. Man, so glad to have you with us. Thank you, I have a feeling that we're going to be talking a lot. We're gonna this I is agree. this is a this is a little bromance we got going on. Did we just become best friends. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good to have you here. All right, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this book, <clears throat> King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. This is gonna be hopefully a six-episode series where we really talk about just kind of outlining the book. By the time we get through with all these episodes, you could have listened to the audiobook yourself. So I encourage men to read this book. I've read lots of things out there in the manosphere. And to me, this is just, it, it hit me so hard. I've listened to this and read this and underlined it several times this year. And uh, I picked it up a couple years ago. It didn't really, I didn't really 
find it interesting to begin with. I wasn't in the right place, maybe. And I think I heard another podcast is what, what got me looking back into it. And I think it's just one of the best things that I've read in a long time. And that's why we want to really break this down and share some examples from our own lives and examples of men who are rediscovering these archetypes. So the questions that we're going to answer today, what is boy psychology? What are the negative attributes of boys that sometimes carry over into manhood? What are some examples of boys parading around pretending to be men? We're going to talk about the structure of the archetypes in this book. We're going to overview the archetypal energies for men and talk about why awareness of this knowledge will help men be stronger and more successful. So this segment is about becoming a man and how we must leave our immature boy thinking behind if we want to have success and respect. First, I just want to talk about some definitions. So archetype, that's basically just means it's a representation of human behavior through characters. Um, it comes from mid-16th century, the word archetype from the Greek archetupon, but it means something molded first as a model um, from archi, which is primitive, and tupos, which is a model. So it's just a typical example of a certain person or a thing. In Jungian psychology, a primitive mental image inherited from the earliest human ancestors and supposed to be present in the collective unconscious. So king, warrior, magician, lover, we're going to break these down in more detail in future episodes. Tonight we're going to talk about boy psychology and kind of what it is that men need to do in general. We'll, we'll briefly overview these other four energies. We're also going to talk about shadows. So the shadow are the aspects of the character that deviate or stray from the, the kind of the standard expectation. It's the dark side. It's the negative side of each of these different energies. And there's an overachieving shadow, kind of a, an active shadow type that we'll talk about, and an underachieving shadow. So our first question tonight, you guys, what is boy psychology in general? Uh, before we start, I just want to say that a true archetype never really goes away. And the idea from this book and from Carl Jung is basically that these are kind of built into us, wired into us. And so uh, through boyhood, we're going to, I'll post a graphic that just shows these little graphic representations of these, um, these little triangular pyramid type shapes, but the boy archetypes never really go away. So boy psychology is the precursor for man psychology. It's just basically how a boy thinks versus how a man thinks. And what I took from this, this whole section, this whole uh, chapter on that is basically the boy is primarily interested in himself. And so that's expected. You know, an eight-year-old boy, you think he's basically going to be interested in himself. Tonight we had a birthday party for my, uh, my, my baby, my four-year-old, by the way, Today is Jim's birthday, and he chose to be here with us. It's 8.30 p.m. on his birthday. And I said, dude, we could pick another night. Why don't we do it on a different night? Besides where he said, oh, I'm not doing anything on a Wednesday night. I'm like, yeah, you don't have to try to be tough, man. Come on. <laughs> Just another day. Anyway, so uh, he's primarily interested in himself. So my four-year-old got all these cool Spider-Man things and, and these different little gifts for his birthday, and his five-year-old brother freaked out. He freaked out because he wanted a gift. Where's his gift? This isn't fair. And so that's kind of expected for a five-year-old boy. When you got a 40-year-old man, we would hope that he's outgrown some of that stuff. But I think we all know guys like that who, who aren't doing that. What are your, your thoughts, you guys, on boy psychology? What is it? How do you see that? And, well, I guess boys, but, but maybe more importantly in grown men even. I think some of it is is they they take resources from the environment and a lot of times they don't uh, they're self-involved and and don't do much to contribute themselves. They're used to you know their parents, their mom uh, doing everything from them and they're just absorbing all these resources without actually contributing all the time. Mm -hmm. That's great. I heard one time or I saw somewhere they were asking the question was when does a boy become a man, and the answer that they gave was when he when he produces more than he consumes. I, I thought that was a pretty good definition. So you're talking about taking resources from the environment? Yeah. He's a taker, taker, not a giver? Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, they're, and they're always looking for, 
external uh, validation. So there, it's kind of like a drug. You see it like in in men that haven't evolved, where they're they're always looking for that external uh, validation. They're looking, they're fishing for those compliments because they haven't evolved yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, that goes just in the psychology in general. Is you know, five year olds, they don't have their prefrontal cortex developed. They're all based in in emotion. So you know, they're living in a world that's just all based in emotion. So when they see anger, they project that anger. You talked about prefrontal cortex, brains not even fully developed, not able to think like a like a grown man would, but some grown men, even when the brain parts are all there, they're still not able to see outside themselves. and They're just in that huge emotional reactivity and just latching onto it like a parasite. Okay, great. I think with um, some of the boys being coddled by their moms, they, they struggle with detachment from their mothers. Uh, Jay was saying they're constantly seeking attention from others, but that detachment from their mother, um, being able to contribute, you know, be able to, in a way, stand on their own is, uh, you know, kind of that boy psychology. Mm-hmm. What about grown men doing that? So maybe the, you know, the, the right my, that kinda... my two my two boys they stay home with their mom all day. They're very attached to her. I'm working a lot. You know, they're four and five. My youngest, uh, that's maybe expected. What if you're a 50 year old man? Right, and it, at least from what I see, that that kind of leads to unhealthy, toxic relationships where this man grows up and he's with a woman and he's dependent upon her, just like he was with his mother as a child. He's never really um, cut that umbilical cord, if you will. Yeah, he's trying to recreate that caretaking and he needs he needs this constant nurturing and that kind of thing. And some of that would be expected in a healthy relationship, but definitely I can see that part of the boy psychology. We'll talk about that later. Um, you know, and, and I think... Uh, when we talk about that with, we see it in, in grown men that haven't evolved is it kind of talks about it in the book a little bit about the disappearance of rich, rituals mm-hmm. that uh, back in the day, tribes had rituals that kind of led these boys to be men. You know, I, I worked with an individual who grew up in Africa in a tribe there and at 16, they were led out into the forest and they had to kill a lion before they came back. Dang. And that was kind of, yeah. That was kind of their ritual into becoming a man. And I think in today's society, we've kind of lost sight of some of that mm-hmm. and that these uh, these boys that then become men haven't ever evolved and had those experiences. Mm-hmm. Young women, ha- there's a there's a kind of a built-in biological um, rite of passage or something that happens to them. The, the menstrual cycle begins and that, that kind of a, is something that signifies that. And for males, there's there's really no such thing like that. And so... I do. I did really like that part of the book where it talks about the missing ritual, you know, kind of where the boy kind of symbolically dies and then he becomes a man after conquering really himself. Mm-hmm. And he does that through some battle, some hunt, some kind of a, you know, some kind of a ritualistic experience. Did any of you have anything like that? Did you have in your family's culture, your, you know, did people in your lives do that? I mean, my family, we were deer hunters and and it wasn't necessarily expected, but it was like when I killed my first deer, that was a, uh, that was kind of here guts in your face, and and um, nobody ever said, oh, now you're a man, but it was just it was kind of a ritual in a sense, you know, here's an animal that's going to feed our family through the winter, and uh, I felt that felt good for me. I was probably maybe 13 or so. I wouldn't say it was really a, a ritual, but uh, it was more of going away to college. I'll admit that I was kind of probably a, a mama's boy growing up. And moving Jay, away. We, you should you should have told me that before I invited you <laughs> on the show. Yeah, it's it's out there in the world it's now. It's out there. So my, my brother and sister we're, will get a worldwide, kick out of it. worldwide, baby. This is this is everybody knows now. Yeah, that, that's a, that's all right. Is that why you didn't uh, want to say your last name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know I, the third child. You know we 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 tend to to cuddle up to our moms. So, mm-hmm. uh, but going away to college, you know, when you are are young and at home and and have all of your resources. Therefore, you going away to college really forces you to uh, grow up and, and develop some of those man qualities. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Do you have anything like that where it was this intended, you know, crossing the bridge into manhood or anything? I mean, mine was kind of ridiculous. My dad just took me out to go get my ears pierced and stuff. And um, we went to a rock concert and that was like my 13th birthday. And that's when I kind of felt like, all right, I'm kind of leaving the the boy side of me and kind of going in more into you know, taking care of myself and dealing with my own problems and being able to 
understand the things I'm going to, through and find support for it. He didn't take you to Pahrump, did he? You didn't go, go out no. there to the... That was uh, Sunset. It was the uh, Gallery Mall. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you have anything like that? There's no real rituals. Um, you know, mostly raised by women, grandma, mom, and sister. And it was kind of like clean up after yourself, <laughs> wash your own clothes, clean up your room. I mean, I was basically guided by the women, and I didn't have um, a lot of you know, uh, male involvement on uh, hunting or yeah. going out to rock concerts. <laughs> no, I, I definitely resonate that with you because shortly after my, my dad passed away and I was really having to navigate this world and try to find peers to look up to and find that growth that I needed. You know, it was, it was really challenging at times. I think that's so very common. It talks about this in the book over and over about the, you know, the under-influence of the mature masculine for boys and kind of an over-influence of women and they're just kind of doing their job, doing their role, raising the kids and doing the best they can, God bless them. But uh, there definitely can be sometimes some, some missing pieces to that. So when men are stuck in a boy psychology, their controlling, threatening, and hostile behaviors in reality are just underlining their vulnerability and weakness of the wounded boy that, you know, they're, they're displaying all these characteristics that appear to be strength when really it's just they're being they're vulnerable and they're hiding yeah they're trying to act like a savage and really it's it's not at all that this is a weak person who has no sense of security with himself so that's like someone who can't just they can't control their emotions they haven't learned to deal with their emotions they haven't learned to recognize their emotions mm-hmm. yeah it's what clint was talking about then totally not develop that and they're living on emotion purely yeah. and i think this is the hardest thing is is boys develop into men, you know, we're not taught how to engage with our own emotions. We're not taught how to self-regulate that anger, the depression, the love. And so, you know, we're just taught like, oh, just pick yourself up by your bootstraps, figure it out, you know? And I think that really puts us at a disadvantage to really have authentic conversations with ourselves and others about emotions and what it means to be an emotional man. I do have a bone to pick with you though. You say all these nice shit about them in the introductions and you didn't say anything about me. I didn't read yours or what? You, you, you read it, but then it was just, that was it. Yeah, so, yeah. like Because you're a mama's boy. He's this, this, he's this, this, look at he's this guy's this, face. Oh, yeah. oh my God, he's, he's caught in a corner. He's screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can we can we pinpoint that emotion on one of these high chair tyrants? This one is, <laughs> hold on. Jay's I, mad that hey, he hold didn't on. get How super... Soaks when he, doesn't get what he wants. Oh, dude, that's me. That's me. Too. <laughs> Is that him? That is me too. Like, you talk you. on that that yeah. this, that topic. That that's me. I sulk when I don't get my way, and then I will berate you until you redo it. <laughs> if you brought me Spider-Man toys, he'd be pissed. He did say he was packing. Now I'm a little bit scared. Oh. But it's way over there. I can't get to it. <laughs> it's closer to me. You better yeah. watch it. <laughs> too funny. So what are the immature and problematic attributes of boys? So in this model, which I'll again post the visual of, these aren't necessarily all negative. Some of these things are, are positive and the boy needs to kind of aspire to those things in boyhood. But we're going to just talk about just the, the dysfunctional shadows of those things. And a really important part of this, something in the book that I underline in a few places that was repeated is, as we talk about the shadow sides, as we go through these, these this next few things here, don't ask yourself if you display those tendencies, but how you do it. Because we all kind of become these things, and we'll share maybe some examples of public figures and people that may, may look like this. But So first, the high chair tyrant. All right, so this is the active shadow. This is the overachieving shadow of the divine child, which we're not going into that part here, but this is a boy or a man who needs excessive attention. He doesn't give anything back. He's demanding what people give him is never enough. He's a whiner, entitled, arrogant. Uh, he wants yes men around him. Believes that he deserves attention without any effort. So maybe we all like attention, but this is a boy or a man who... Um, believes that he should have that attention without producing anything. Pouts, sulks when he doesn't get what he wants. Jaybird. That's right. (laughs) 
Uh, he can't take criticism, uh, has unreasonable expectations, hurts himself with his grandiosity. So he wants attention, he wants to be recognized, but he ends up causing problems for himself and he makes slaves of his caretakers. Like totally, I'm seeing this in my, in my two little boys right now. If they don't get what they want, um, they cause, uh, they make a lot of noise and they're, um, they kind of get mean. But grown men do that too. So the weakling, the weakling is the passive shadow. This is the underachieving shadow of this divine child. So this is a guy that needs to be coddled. He's playing the victim all the time. Can't take responsibility. Nothing's ever his fault. Uh, maybe a hypochondriac, always complaining, always hurt, always has a reason, some explanation, some justification for why he can't. He's unmotivated, has no initiative. And he's mad when people don't meet his needs for him. So we talked about the high chair tyrant. And on the opposite, the bipolar shadow of that is the weakling. So the tyrant demanding, wants everything his way. The weakling kind of can't do anything. What does this look like in the world of men? Anybody deal with these people? Yeah, my field, you know, being in construction, I deal with a lot of these people on a regular. You know, most of them have dropped out of high school. Maybe that's the only education they have is high school. They haven't really learned to dig into their feelings and some of their past and, and, and recognize, you know, these high char chair tyrant or um, weaklings within them. Things I can't take criticism. I got guys working with me or for me. You know, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to help them succeed and just try to help them be better in, in what they do. And, you know, hopefully that goes down to the guys below them. But when you talk with them, they get very defensive and they start deflecting and, you know, it's always someone else's fault. And, and it's, it's hard to get through to a man, a boy like that, because he's not really hearing you. You know, it's always some other problem. It's a schedule or it's a, another guy underneath him or something's wrong with the plan. So, so yeah. there's obvious disadvantages to that, like on the job, you know, in the work world of your work. What do you think these guys are like at home and in their relationship? Do you think it's any different? I, I have to wonder about things like that all the time. Like their their cars a mess, you know, their their clothes, and and I just I honestly I feel bad for their women, and their wives and children. You know, they just I see them as going home and shutting down and not really bringing to light some of these issues. Um, just kind of blowing it off as if it doesn't exist. They're mad at you as the super on the job, and they go home and get mean with the wife and kids. Yeah. They're frustrated they got called out. Now they go home and displace all their anger, the high chair tyrant. They become that um, at home. And honestly, some of these guys, I, I feel like they get <clears throat> hammered at, at home so hard from their wives and kids that it's coming, way co around. It's coming to work is actually kind of relieving because when they do something well, you know, I love to give them praise and, 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 and show them that, you know, we appreciate them. You know, that's the kind of environment I try to have. But it's still tough when there's something wrong and then you're trying to, you know, help them understand or overcome that problem and they start deflecting like they're at home with their wives. They're deflecting and getting defensive. And it's tough to get through to a man like that. That's why I work a lot. That's why I'm here at 9 o'clock tonight. Just kidding, baby, if you're listening. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I also think, you know, you see it. We've all probably had those supervisors or those managers or our bosses uh, that are real arrogant and they can't take criticism themselves. And so they, you see them, they, they surround themselves with yes men. Mm -hmm. And so if you're one of those that asks those tough questions, challenges their authority, they usually will snap at you or, or knock you down because you're not a yes man. You're not following in line with them. They just want people that are going to agree with them. Just you follow know, the orders. some of that you're talking about, I just had recently, um, my boss got into me tough and there were some other people associated with it that was the reason for the problem. But when he came to me, I said, absolutely, I'll address it. I'll take care of it. The fault from another guy, that just wasn't the time to bring it up. Like, understand what he's addressing to me, fix that, and then at another time, bring that up. Say, well, you know, we do have some other issues we need to address as well. But right now, he's trying to focus that problem with me, and I need to address that rather than deflect into someone else. And that arrogance, you know, that's the boss I don't want to be. Yeah, exactly. Take criticism from all the way down to my apprentices from my boss. It's the yeah. way it should be. So any examples of this? Movies, books, uh, popular 
people out there that guys might notice say, this is what a high chair tyrant looks like, or a weakling. I think for weakling, you can boil it down to every romantic comedy that's ever been made. Because, you know, usually the girl's a pursuer, the guy withdraws, does something bad, he's a hypochondriac, it's not his fault, I'm the good guy, I'm not the villain here, it's, it's all you. And so they kind of project their own insecurities to everyone out, but not dealing with their own self. Yeah, that's great. That's that's awesome. I I hate those the the images of men. We did a show, one of our early shows. We talked about the doofus dad, you know, the dumb, ignorant dad who's just doesn't even know anything and um, just kind of weak. Well, I know I know like. we'll get into it a little bit with the king and the in the shadows with the king, but um, watched a little bit of Game of Thrones and Joffrey in Game of Thrones is is a really good example of a high chair tyrant. Really didn't do anything to deserve being a leader. Uh, de- demanded all the attention and was arrogant. And in the end, it, it was his demise. Mm-hmm. I keep hearing about that show. I, I, uh, I hear there's some parts of it that I might enjoy. There, there's there's a lot of parts in it. Especially you might enjoy. The first few <laughs> all right, let's talk about know-it-all trickster. So this is the active or overachieving shadow of the precocious child. Now I have to admit, as educated and intelligent as I am, I didn't know what precocious meant, so I had to look it up. Precocious means having developed certain abilities or proclivities. It sounds like a Jordan Peterson word, proclivities, um, at an earlier age than usual. So this is a smart kid. He's ahead of his peers. But the know-it-all trickster is the shadow of that. So the know-it-all trickster, he gets into mischief, has a sense of superiority. You'll notice some of these things kind of blend and overlap. He's a show-off, always has his hand up, but not to give the right answer, to, to prove he's smarter. Tries to charm his way out of trouble, uses deception, manipulation, smartassery. He intimidates with his words, criticizes others' mistakes. He's envious, insecure, brags about himself, destroys things. His focus is on appearances, and he has problems with authority. So know-it-all trickster. What about the dummy? This is this is the underachieving or passive side of the precocious child. This is someone who's just naive. They have no vigor, a little bit lazy, slow. And an interesting part in the book, it talks about their ineptitude is less than honest, meaning they pretend to know less than they actually do, and they're just kind of playing dumb so they can avoid responsibility. They avoid risks and that kind of thing. But I also think uh, interesting with that is that they play dumb but are really taking notice of stuff and kind of throw in and will evolve and jump over to the, the trickster at times too. And that we play, we see that, that aloofness in them as that they're not paying attention mm-hmm. and they, they do it on the down low. Mm. That's a great point about all of these shadow sides that we, we kind of alternate if we're living in the, in the weakling and we just do that long enough, we become the high chair tyrant when we're fed up or whatever, and, and vice versa. You kind of alternate between these bipolar shadows. So good thought there, Jay. All right, you guys, it's about to get serious now. We're, we're about to talk about your mama. Uh, in, in preparation for this, I was thinking, I haven't heard a good your mama joke lately. Anybody have a, anybody have a good one? You want to share a good your mama joke? Brad, your mama you? is so fat, her belly button gets home 15 minutes before she does. <laughs> That's a long belly button, boy. That's, that's that one's deep. <laughs> Got some lint in that. That's funny. Oh. Things in another zip code. <laughs> I figured, you know, this is a serious subject. So I thought we would uh, break the tension a little bit before we talk about moms and how that they've created problems in us here. But any other cool your mama jokes? Anybody? Your mama is so dumb. When y'all were driving to Disneyland, she saw a sign that said Disney left, so you went home. <laughs> <laughs> all right so this is this is very serious and when i'm working with men i don't know clint when, if you can echo this too but when i'm working with men a lot of it has to do with their relationships most guys aren't coming to say you know i'm depressed and whatever the core of so much of their problems are their relationships mm-hmm. and this next one talks about the boy psychology of of love really mm-hmm. so the mama's boy this is one of the arch- one of the archetypal energies here this is the overachieving shadow of the Oedipal child. 
Now, Oedipus, that whole story, that's a little crazy. So Freud was the early psychologist who talked about the Oedipus complex, basically where and it comes from Greek mythology, where the boy killed his father, ended up marrying his mother, and this is basically the dynamic where the boy is too closely tied to his mother and then gets hurt because of that. Man, this, is, this could cr- create some tension because there's a lot of men in the world raised by their moms, and that seems like a normal, healthy thing until we really start to explore what happens in their relationships after, you know, as they become men. So one of the common things here is that they're, again, too connected mm-hmm. to mom. They're over-identifying. All of the immature masculine energies are tied in one way or another to mom. And they are deficient in experiences with a nurturing and mature man. This is one of the reasons we encourage men to get connected with other men. The womanizer needs men, not women. Mm -hmm. And so as we talk about this, remember, we're thinking not if we do these things, but how this shows up in our life. So too connected mom, uh, never wants to offend or hurt her, not to worry mom in any way, lives to please her, acquiesces to mom's wishes always. The Don Juan syndrome, he's a womanizer, he's kind of obsessed with seducing women. In our day, um, there's an excessive use of porn, jumping from relationship to relationship, you know, can't be tied down or satisfied by one woman. What he's really looking for is the perfect union with a woman without doing the work. That's the common theme with, in boy psychology is they want all the stuff, want the glory, they're ambitious, they're trying to do, the, do good things and have good things, but they want to do it without the work. They want to do it without responsibility. It's all kind of self-seeking. But this guy's caught up in fantasies that are never fulfilled and never satisfied. Uh, and a thought from another book that I highly recommend, No More Mr. Nice Guy. He talks about nice guys end up ruining their relationships with women because they unconsciously sabotage it so that, and this is a key phrase, and It'll, it'll make you shiver a little bit. They unconsciously sabotage it so that they can be monogamous to their mother. She's the only woman he wants. And it's not necessarily sexually, of course, and it's not her herself, but she represents an archetype of the goddess, this infinite love. And so he's looking for this deep, amazing spiritual union, this constant orgasmic ecstasy type state. And he's hung up because he's overly connected with mom. So that's a hard one to, uh, it's a hard one to Mm -hmm. introduce, you know. So the guy out there running around with women, he's just got sleazy things going on in his life, can't find a satisfying relationship. What, how do you see this stuff, you guys coming from attachment to mom? For me personally, and being kind of vulnerable here, you know, after my dad died, I was having to take care of my mom. And I can see how some of these things, some of these aspects still kind of play a role in even my life today. I mean, I love my mom, care for her deeply, but, you know, I know I'm still kind of too connected. I know it's had contention on, on relationships in my past. So it's, it was really interesting reading this and seeing how just the, even just the small fused uh, connection with mom can have reverberating facts down the road. This is all created accidentally. I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say that, you know, you're taking care of your mom. Yeah. You're sort of maybe the man of the house yeah. at that point and you had yep. to do some of those things. And, um, that none of that is pathological on purpose. It yeah. just, it, it accidentally creates dynamics that cause trouble later. Any other thoughts on that? The mom's boy being overly connected. Um, well, I, I see it when we talk about not wanting to offend or hurt mom or, or make her worry that then, that evolves into your relationships with the, with females, you know, that you get into a relationship and you fall into that Mr. Nice guy all the time, instead of having an opinion. And sometimes, you know, on Friday nights, have a plan. Once you ask, what do you want to do tonight? Instead of saying, I don't care. What do you want to do? No. Be like, Hey, this is what we're doing. And that we're so afraid of offending them that it kind of, I, I can see it in my own relationships that it results back to when I always wanted to just please my mom. Yeah. And I, I mean, I see that dynamic quite a bit and, and, you know, couples therapy, even individuals therapy where, you know, the woman will be the pursuer, the man will be the withdrawer because they're so afraid to hurt or scared, you know, and it just comes from just such an intense place of vulnerability. 
This is powerful stuff, man. This is, these are deep, deep things that I think most men can recognize. Again, we're not talking about if this is going on with you, but in what ways. The other side of this, the passive shadow here, on the, this is the love um, axis. The passive side is the dreamer. And it's interesting because I, I would probably have described myself in the past as a dreamer. But when I read this definition, so this is the underachieving shadow um, of the Oedipal child. This person is aloof. They'd rather be alone in their head, too often kind of have their head in the clouds. Their relationships are with intangible things. Their relationships are with ideas and dreams and fantasies and, and really not grounded in reality. Maybe they're not connected, no social skills. I hear this from guys all the time, you know, oh, I'm socially awkward and I don't want to be around people. Um, I think this is a, a quote directly from the book. It says, his depression is tied to the grandiosity in seeking to possess the mother. He finds it hard to do things because he's too busy dreaming and fantasizing of things he doesn't want to work for to have. So the dreamer is a passive, you know, underachieving boy, immature version of the lover. What does that look like, the dreamer? When I hear what you're saying, it, it reminds me kind of something that's come to light recently is it's, it's in-cell violent extremists and that they classify them as involuntarily celibate and they, they view women as the enemy. And uh, we've seen uh, in Canada just recently had an, an event uh, where that was someone who had committed some violence. And it's something new that we're seeing that these people, uh, they, I think they would fall into this dreamer category. Yeah, it's called incel uh, violent extremists. And so uh, basically they it's basically your loser and your loners that haven't had any relationships with females. They, they can't get laid pretty much. Mm -hmm. And they're, they classify themselves as involuntarily celibate. It's not by choice. It's just that, that oh, women are the enemy now oh, because. Oh, I, that's the, that's where I got hung up with the involuntary part. So yeah. in the, in the, on the mature side of this, this is parallel with the impotent lover. Yeah. So the guy yeah. who can't, he doesn't know what to do, how to do, can't make the connection, doesn't know how to read the vibes and, you know, um, take care of business, whether we're talking sexually or in the relationship dynamics itself. So, wow. Okay. On a comedic note, it reminds me of uh, Step Brothers. You ever seen that movie? <laughs> yeah. Will Ferrell. Yeah. <laughs> just aloof and just goofy living in their own dream, being a dinosaur. No idea kind of what's going on in that. In the in the realm with women or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, that movie's great. All right, so the next uh, axis here is the grandstander bully, which is the active overachieving shadow of the hero. Grandstander bully. Man, I have images that come directly to mind on this. So this is a person that demands respect. They try to impress people. They get revenge when people don't honor them arrogant, kind of inflated sense of their own self-importance. Uh, they take unnecessary risks, so they want to look heroic, um, but it's all grandstanding. They're all just trying to look cool. Maybe this is where road rage comes from. People believe they're superior. They lash out when people don't cater to their needs. Really, this is an insecure coward who hides his insecurities, and he lacks the confidence to incorporate feminine energy. I really, this was fascinating to me. He lacks the confidence to incorporate feminine energy. And let me just say, each of you have some of those things, okay? You're, you're men and you, you do man shit, mm -hmm. but you have some sensitivities. You have some emotional intelligence. And what you lack in that, I know that you're actively working on those things and you want to do that. And that's maybe we're talking about incorporating the feminine energy. So this grandstander bully He's talking about sissy stuff. He's talking about that's for girls. He's talking about, you know, he rejects any of the feminine, especially in himself. It's just fascinating to me. Lacks the confidence to incorporate feminine energy. So a lot of our listeners, you know, they, these are sort of anti-feminists and whatever. And they, there's many of these guys kind of have some issues with women in general uh, or feel that they're superior. But what do you think of that? Lacks the confidence to incorporate feminine energy. 
I mean, it kind of reminds me of just going back to, was it, um, you know, the issues with Mama Boy. Mm-hmm. Not being able to value that that part, the emotional part, you know, watching a good movie and being able to cry to it. Right. Like Toy Story or something. Serious. You know? Yeah, they're hiding from it, their own emotion. Mm-hmm. And just see it as just pure weakness. Right. That that for me took a while to to understand. When my father passed away, it took me a long time to actually grieve and, and shed tears for that. Like, you know, he taught me to tough it out and pick yourself up and, you know, just spit on it, keep going, you know, just I had a lot of that for for a long time. It wasn't really until the last 10, 15 years that I cried at, you know, <laughs> dog movie or mm-hmm. greed for him. Cat clips on uh, on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. I cried those. So it's tough in like today's society, the way, you know, some old school men teach up and coming children, you know, they're not really a good role model to have that feminine side in them, you know, to understand that it's okay to have that in you and still be masculine. Mm-hmm. My, so my two little boys I've talked about a lot tonight, they're, you know, I catch myself sometimes saying like, don't cry and whatever. And then I correct it. And my, my, my words now, my, my little phrase there is just, um, it's okay to cry, but use your words too. I want them to cry, but tell me what's going on. Tell me what you're feeling. Let's name this. Are you frustrated? You know, is this, are you angry about something? Another thought you were talking about being afraid to cry. I can't tell you how many men I've worked with who've walked away from jobs, relationships. They've walked away from things because they were afraid to cry. They, they would lie in a situation. They would lie. Why do they lie? Because they know if they told the truth, they might cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what they're really afraid of. Mm-hmm. They're not afraid of getting their balls busted. They're afraid of showing emotion. Anyway, one of the biggest problems with men out there, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think they when they show that, that feminine side or they, they cry, uh, they see it as a sign of weakness. And they, they don't want to portray that to, to anybody else. And so, I mean, like you're talking, it took you a long time to realize that it was okay to do that. I guess I, I feel fortunate I grew up in a household where I had a dad who, you know, he was a, a leader and, and a coach and had that warrior mindset. But at the same time at home, he would cry during a movie mm-hmm. and he was okay with that. Yeah. It's my favorite thing to do, actually. That's that, how. That doesn't that's surprise how, me. That's how I, evolved I am. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I knew you get it. it out. You, I knew it. You feel the emotion. You get it out, and you're able to kind of reset yourself and move on. You're you're kind of releasing that stored up, pent up, just gunk that's just sitting in your brain and your your body. And you know, like like you said, I, I'm grateful that I had a dad to also be able to show me that hey, it's okay to cry. You know, when when I I could remember being seven years old and um, camping and got a huge stick stuck in my leg. I fell, and He's like, it's all right, you know, cry. We're going to go take it out. Um, he was very supportive the whole way and didn't make me feel like it was anything less than. Like, he viewed me as his son. I viewed him as my dad, and he's there to take care of me. Wow, that's, that, ah, man, that's, that gives me goosebumps. That's exactly how it ought to be, I think. So the grandstander bully, you know any people like that? Any pictures come to mind? Any? I mean, I guess I'll say it. I, I, I. I think that a recent four years in the American landscape of politics showed us maybe a grandstander bully. Mm-hmm. And this is not any, anything about political, but it's about personality. You know, I don't care what his policies are. Um, that dude was a grandstander bully mm-hmm. and demanded respect, tried to impress people, would get upset, frustrated, talk down to, to people and things like that. Maybe there were there are plenty of good things there. It's not about his political record, but just as a man. If he when he was on the show, um, I felt the same way. <laughs> the TV show that he was on. Um, yeah, yeah I don't think it has anything to do with your political affiliation at all. Yeah. But it was blatantly obvious that he would lash out at people who didn't cater to him you know, through his Twitter or through press conferences. He would mock people and like his policies or not. I mean, it's hard to shy away from that. Remember, we're saying not if we demonstrate these things, but how we do it. So <laughs> that, that goes for other men, too. All right, let's talk about the coward. This is the passive shadow of the hero. This is a guy that avoids confrontation, can't stand up for himself, whether verbally, psychologically, physically. He believes it's... Bigger, you know, it's, he's a bigger man for walking away from something, even when it sh- when he should fight. Maybe he hates that he's a coward. 
a little bit of a pushover, doormat, can't make decisions for himself, doesn't really you know, want to wear the pants in a relationship. Thoughts on the coward? That's the guy who's eventually just going to erupt like the volcano. You know, he's holding all this stuff in, he's avoiding it, he's not confronting it, and just one day it just gets pent up and it explodes, and it's not good either that way because you can ruin a relationship really quick in that one that one moment because you haven't been, you know, addressing your passive issues for however long. Yeah, so you're passive, 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 just swallow it, bury it, sweep it under the rug, and then eventually that turns into aggression, the evil, awful kind of unhealthy aggression, the coward. So what are some examples of boys pretending to be men? So these are men walking around acting like boys. Um, what do you see? How do you see, we're talking about boy psychology and the difference. There's a lot of grown men out there that look grown. They've got muscles. They've got a truck. They, you know, they're doing man things, but they are behaving out of boy psychology. <sighs> Some examples of that, men being Seeing boys. that all over the place. Yep. Guys who bragging to others what they have or what they know. They think they're far superior than people they work with, their friends. You know, they believe that their worth is is more valuable than others. They just... They can't show humility. They can't stay humble. You know, just, I'm better than you. You know, it's a funny thing to me to see, and I've, I've probably been a part of this before, but, like, walking past a dude in a store who, like, looks at you too long, you're like, what? You know, what's up? You know, right. like, you want to like, fight. Like, you were in the mall. I'm just walking past, you know, or, or somebody sees you checking out their girlfriend or their, you know, and they become enraged because you just looked over and glanced and somehow they feel threatened by that. That's, that's don't, don't have a me. bunch of tattoos and I'm staring at you and you're, you're going to get mad at me. You know, like I'm just, <laughs> yeah, like, well, just you checking out, bro. You want to go outside? You got what? a nice car. You got cool tattoos. I just want to check it out. Mm-hmm. Just checking you out. Your, your girl looks good. I'm just checking it out. <laughs> and I would see this all, back when I was uh, working at the uh, day pools down on the strip, you would see this, this arrogance all the time. Like my self-worth is tied to how many zeros I have in my bank account, not to how I treat people. And uh, I remember this one guy gave me five grand and he's like, go get some girls for me. And I'm like, that's kind of not my character. I'll give it to the guy who can do that. But you just see that that sense of hubris. So right? you're a pimp. Yeah. You're literally. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We go, okay, pimp, pimp, Clint, Clint the pimp. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Hubris. I, I saw that word a few times in the book. I don't even know what it means. Talk to me. Um, it's just like kind of goes in grandiosity. Um, just f- this kind of inflated sense of self that they're bigger and better than everything. You know, you, you see it kind of definitely down on, if you work anywhere on the strip, people come in with this phony persona of who they are. And, you know, I would see that all the time, especially working in the, in the clubs and day clubs of just men who wore the Ed Hardy shirts and the true religion jeans and, and just being totally not themselves. So, yeah. They're wearing a costume almost. It's, it's, it's like a mask. They're, yeah. They're parading around like a, in a hero suit. It's, hi- you know? it's hiding their vulnerabilities. Yeah. Let yeah. me just look like a badass, even though I'm not, I'm totally not. Lots of insecurities. But let me show, let me put on the, the uniform of a badass. Mm-hmm. What I think is that totally fraudulent, right? Yeah. I think real men see through that. Real women see through that. <laughs> Ten years later. <laughs> Ten years later. <laughs> Personal also, experience. <laughs> I also think it it uh, is the you know the men that are walking around always with a victim mentality. You know they're they're the ones that oh, their girlfriend broke up with them or they can't get a girlfriend because they're snobs or they stopped going to the gym because their workout partner moved away. It's like they don't take any responsibility. They're always the victim for it. It's the stupid governor. You know, it's the, it's, it's Corona. It's everything mm-hmm. is some external factor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just, they're unable to take responsibility for any of their own actions. So the structure of the, these archetypal energies basically picture a triangle the top of the triangle the peak is the archetype in its fullness this is a fully awesome integrated and consciously expressed version of that thing so we'll post a graphic on that and the bottom half is the shadow so each corner of the triangle is the positive and the negative side of the shadow Uh, it's very effective i don't know i'm i I like shapes i like uh you know imagery that to teach me 
things through a framework like that. Mm-hmm. We're going to quickly overview the archetypal energies for men really fast. Something interesting about this, we're going to do a whole episode on each one of these. It's interesting to note that none of these things can be done alone. Even kings had advisors. They had a tribe. The king's court, it was often called as a, a described their, their council, their household. The king's court traveled with the king, and wherever he went, he would seek advice from the wise men of his court, which would include, you know, relatives, barons, lords, leaders of churches, you know, bishops, and so forth. Warriors are obviously not alone. While you can fight a battle on your own, you're a better, stronger warrior if you're not doing it alone. Magicians, in order to be a true magician, you basically are having to teach that to others. And the lover, you can't, you can't really love if you're trying to do it alone. I guess some people do a little, do a little loving alone, but uh, to live these things in the fullness, you can't do any of these things alone. So we need men, we need people, got to get connected. All right, quick description of the king. King is a leader. This one's about leadership. Let's, you, you guys just throw in some things here for me. What does the king do? What is he like? He's honorable. Honorable. He's a, the benevolent king. You know, he's a giver. He's not a dictator. He's guided by core values. Yeah, he's got some values. He's got some integrity. Uh, he's able to see many perspectives that help guide the unknowing to the empowerment of self-regulation. Yeah. Wow, Whoa. that was... Deep, deep. Say that again. Do it again. Wow. Um, he's able to see many perspectives and help guide the unknowing, like the people, mm-hmm. uh, to empowerment and self-regulation. Tons of cool stuff there. He's got vision. He empowers people so that they can self-regulate. That's pretty cool. One thing I, I heard in an audio or something outside of this but related about King Energy is that he has compassion. If he doesn't have compassion, he's a tyrant. Mm-hmm. You can be a good leader. You can make things happen. You can get shit done. But if you don't have compassion, if, you, if you're not a lover also, you're not a good king. Mm-hmm. How about the warrior? Mm-hmm. What's a warrior like? Well, he fights. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he fights, but he doesn't just fight for himself. You know, he's not out for himself. He's a little bit detached maybe from his feelings, so he can be tough. He's tough, but he's usually fighting for a cause. He's fighting for other people. He's fighting for something sacred maybe. He's fighting for to protect others you know he's fighting for he has a lot of integrity yeah he's got integrity i think he, uh, going on with that it, with integrity is just he's with his morals and values like if you think of a samurai you know he he's going to go out and he knows who he needs to attack but he's not going to attack the children or or the uh, women you know he has a moral compass that kind of keeps him engaged so that he doesn't go too far off left or too far off right yeah, very disciplined. He's uh, fighting with a purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's de- decisive, skillful. You mentioned earlier that talking about being led by emotion, he's not dragged around by his own emotions. He really keeps that stuff in check. Yeah, he doesn't think too much. That's one of the things I read in the book is he only thinks as, you know, on the battlefield, but he doesn't get too wrapped up into his own emotional thoughts. Like he's he recognizes them that they're there, but he doesn't, go on the over-intensifying thoughts. It's like he's not making it personal. Yeah. Not it's almost reacting. business-like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like, too, that it talks about he knows his limitations and he considers his mortality. That's something that's really cool out there in some of the stoic stuff about uh, memento mori. Remember, you, you could die. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something the warrior does. He considers that. So he trains. He trains for it. He's in good shape. He knows how to use tools and weapons. And those in our day may not be guns and cannons they may be electronic means he knows how to read (laughs) he knows how to find tools and get help Mm -hmm. get his little army together and then the magician has special knowledge the magician is uh he's he's good at technical things he's good at science he's good at math he understands the stars and he's just got special knowledge i think is the best way to, to put that it could be any form any career any type of of learning but he also takes people under his wing. He has apprentices. He has people that he guides. He's the, the uh, ritual elder. I love that term in the, in the book. He's the ritual elder. He puts somebody else in position to do the things that he can do and learn what, he learned, what he's learned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has a passion for teaching, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. One thing I thought was cool out of the book is he's able to kind of challenge the king's arrogance, and he's kind of like the bullshit detector. Mm. Um, he's, he's wise, his awareness and insight, but also has an understanding of the unknown and the unconscious of the underlying deeper energies that are at play. 
So he's able to give perspective. He's able to understand the complexity of how madness the world is, but he's able to find that balance and teach others to kind of regulate their own energies. Love it. A lot of spirituality stuff that seemed to go along with the magician too. You know, he's just connected to, I don't know, planets and all kinds of cool things like that. How about the lover? Quick description of the lover. It's empathy, empathetic, caring, compassionate. I love it talked about libido and libido. We normally think of as just sex drive, but really that's life energy, passion for life. You know, he loves music good cigars he, he he he's he sees the colors of the world you know he's running around i don't know looking at the world like an artist like a photographer he enjoys just, the sunrise yeah mm-hmm. he, he's he's seeing beauty he loves not just people not just a lover of women but he can you know he, he knows what he's doing over there too but maybe he can dance maybe he uh can be silly maybe he can have fun mm-hmm. Kind of reminds me of like kind of letting your childlike self come out and play. You know, it's it's this very raw, honest part of you that, um, like you said, is empathetic to the world around him. He understands the colors. He understands how people feel and how to either prop them up or calm them down. So, Intuitive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he he seems to yeah be in tune and he just to, enjoys all of life's pleasures. So you guys, we're going to wrap this one up. Just let's talk about how awareness of these things can help men be stronger. That's our whole purpose here is to lift guys up and, you know, give them tools and things, point them in the right direction. And um, this book is one awesome resource that I've found. It's really kind of kind of lit me up. Most of my clients are probably sick of hearing me talk about this, the men that I work with. I've even shared this with women who are trying to understand their their men and like, oh, he's he's in the weakling energy. You know, he's, he's, he's being the sadist or he's doing the, you know, he's doing the high chair tyrant thing right now. And it just gives some language. It's a little framework. It's a nice visual framework for understanding where dudes are coming from and where they need to, what they need to be doing instead. Give us a, a quick little, little uh, summary, I guess, you guys, of wh- how this can help dudes be better. Yeah, I feel like it can help me recognize and identify my past traumas and then start to live in the present moment and reacting beneficially to myself and, and others around me. You know, it's helping me recognize my emotions, how to act on them accordingly, and turn a negative situation into a positive situation. Rather, you know, so I'm just not, I'm living in the present. I'm not focusing on that, that, that negativity. I'm recognizing my emotions, and I'm just uh, trying to address them in a positive manner. It's okay to cry, Jim. We're here for you, bro. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. Jay, Clint, what, why is this? Why could this be helpful for men? Well, kind of like what Jim's uh, talking about is just being fully aware of those. I know sometimes, knowing my own life, been asked why are you acting like a child. Sometimes we don't understand it. So, no, knowing all of these uh, different archetypes and the shadows is you can kind of understand in your own behavior mm-hmm. you know, why you're acting that way, and then get yourself, you know, corrected. And then also just, you know, when you see others acting in those ways, understanding what motivation that comes from. Well said. So, you know, what I got out of it is just, you know, it's, it's understanding the deeper part of ourselves, you know, it's, it's scary, it's dreadful, like seeing that rawness that we don't want to touch, that emotional hot plate. And, you know, for us men to be really authentic to ourselves can really elicit our own insecurities, negative thoughts, judgments. However, just... By even acknowledging or validating our own struggles with the various art, these archetypes, you know, we can use these as a tool for growth. We can kind of visualize, like when you see the triangles, to see where, where are we sitting on the pendulum? Am I the tyrant? Or, or what can I do to maybe loosen that up a little bit and be a little bit more present, like you were saying? I think too, Brad, with, with recognizing these archetypes within ourselves, then it helps us to give to the other men around us. And for me, I think that's the most beneficial part is I can start recognizing it in other men. Not that I'm skilled or, or trained or a professional in it, but I do recognize it. And, you know, I can help calm them down or bring them to the present moment or stop having them worry about the future and, you know, creating a lot of anxiety and stress for themselves. Dude, how many men do you supervise or are you in contact with on a regular basis or have some leadership over? Um, I mean, at the given moment, it's about 50, but it can range from 20 to the most has been about 200. So, <laughs> Jay, you've done 
leadership things as well. You got men around you. What I want to say is just that you guys who aren't professionals probably have more influence in the world of men than even Clinton and I. I mean, I have, I see 40 or 50 people a week. You just say half those are guys, you know, half those are men, um, maybe 10 are young men. And so I have the ability to influence, you know, 30 people a week. You're talking about 200, you're talking about 50 to 200 people. You got people all around you who are looking at you and watching you. There's also young men in your life, young adult men or teenage boys. Um, yeah, I, I love what you're saying, Jim. This is not only for our own awareness, but part of our growth is helping others along the same path. We're going to wrap this one up, you guys. Thank you for being here. This is part one of a six-part series. Uh, we appreciate you being with us. And as always, no excuses. Alpha up. Gentlemen, you are the Alpha, and this is the Alpha Quorum. <laughs>